Hello and welcome to the Leaders Team podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Leaders Team at Twinkle, where we chat about all things teaching and leading. As former teachers and leaders in schools ourselves, we want to amplify the voices of those in and out of the teaching profession and share the incredible things they're doing to make education a better place for everyone. In this episode, I speak to Andy Sammons, the author of Compassionate Teacher, and he's a director of English at a large comprehensive school in Yorkshire. Andy's worked in schools for over 10 years in roles including being a classroom teacher, lead practitioner, and key stage leader. He is passionate about middle leadership and always bringing out the best in others as he leads. It's it's not about, you know, behaving in a certain way and overnight, and taking a compassion pill and everything being okay again. I think it's about being the person that people can approach over weeks and days and months and years. And, and that that's when it becomes really powerful. I first got in touch with Andy after I found his book, The Compassionate Teacher, and I loved it so much that I sent him a tweet just to tell him that. We've been friends ever since. I read his book at a very poignant stage of my life and it encapsulated so much of what I stand for, which is placing compassion at the centre of everything we do. And so it was only right that we had him as a guest on our podcast to talk to him about teaching and leading with compassion. So here we go with the next episode, Teaching and Leading with Compassion with Andy Sammons. Welcome to the Leaders Team Podcast. It is so good to have you here today. How are you doing? Hi, thank you for inviting me on. I'm really delighted to be on. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's just good. We've been talking about this for a long time. We've known each other for a couple of years Mm -hmm. now. And uh, in fact, it was you that introduced me to Twitter. So I have you to blame, really, for for getting onto Twitter. But no, actually, I'm thankful, to be honest, because I've made some really good connections on there. But we we connected a few years ago when I read your book, The Compassionate Mm -hmm. Teacher. And that's why I want to talk to you today, because it was such an impacting book in where I was in my kind of stage of life, if you like. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really, really think other people will benefit from from reading your book and hearing what you have to say about it. Thank um, you. I still remember I still remember when uh, when you when the message popped <laughs> up in my Twitter inbox thinking and I thought it, it can't be t- it can't be a scam because the message is too long to be a scam. So I remember thinking, oh, okay, I'll come back to you, and 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 here we are, a couple of years later, as as good mates. So I'm, I'm pleased. I'm pleased. It's uh, I'm pleased you, the book found its way to you, however it did. Honestly, and, I was uh, so glad that you replied to that message because I had a different Twitter account. I remember this very clearly. But you saw it, you heard it, you connected with me, and I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, pleasure. So let's let's talk. Let's talk. I want to know. Okay, I know this, but I'd like to know. What, how, what got you into teaching in the first place? What was your route into teaching? Did you always want to become a teacher? It's an interesting one. I, I, I've uh, it, it's it's indirectly linked to um, what happened to me and the sort of the crash and uh, that I describe in my book when I really had a had a, a big work burnout, as I now come to see, it, come to understand it. Um, in the back of my mind, I I was always strong at school at. at English and and some of the written based subjects I was okay at sport and I was good at some of those written subjects not not particularly not spectacular 
but I always thought I was destined to go into business or go into London and kind of, you know, wear an expensive suit for life and, and work 25 hours a day and all those sorts of things. But in the back of my mind, what I really wanted to do, what, and it is something just naturally I always wanted to do was, was teach and that idea of taking an idea, planning a lesson around it to make it understandable for people of all different ages and abilities and doing something with my understanding, turning it into something tangible. Um, and teaching was always going to be something that I think I wanted to do. And my mum would sort of say, no, I think you just want to go back to school and you miss school. And cause that's where you felt like you had, um, you know, had a real clear role and a clear purpose. And I think mum and dad just maybe thought that I was looking for familiarity. And, and I think I would have reacted like that if I was them as well. But um, no, I, I sort of, I, I, there was a very clear road in my life. I was offered a role, uh, a job uh, in London or, and I was offered a PGCE place at the last knock-ins and it was literally, I got two of the offers in the same kind of fortnight and it wasn't really, it wasn't really a decision for me. I just wanted to do it. And here I am sort of 10 years later or so. Amazing. And you are um, an English teacher mm -hmm. and that's your kind of thing. And so when you wrote this book, was it quite um, kind of like a natural thing for you to do, obviously given your experience in teaching English and things, but you wrote the book after quite a pivotal point in your life, didn't you? Mm. What was the driving force? This is the compassionate teacher that we're talking about, the book. Um, but why I want to know what the driving force behind writing it was. Um, I suppose I the book came more naturally to me because I, I'm an English teacher. You wrote um, it pretty quickly from what I can remember of us having a conversation. Yeah, yeah, I, I um, yeah, I treated it as a big essay, really. I had a very clear vision of what I wanted the book to be, which was to start off with almost biographical, like autobiographical, and then, and this idea that the model of the brain and how, compassion focused therapy may help me make sense of things and then the sort of a, a discussion of the broader educational landscape um and then a sort of a vision for what i might call compassionate teaching and that was the hardest chapter to write the, the teaching chapter because i was probably treading on people's toes who were far superior to me in terms of intellect and understanding of the brain and things like that um and people you know there are there are really strong books in that field already so chapter three was hard and then chapter four um was was more about sort of work-based relationships that 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 was relatively a little bit simpler to, to think about because it was again it was i was in, in home territory and then it's for, for the final considerations is just a sort of a, some thoughts for the future and, and so uh, because i had that that vision of the book i was able to put it together quite quickly um and it came together quite clearly and i think another thing um was that i interviewed people so that that was a way of you know that 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 enabled me to write the book more quickly because i was you know transcribing massive interviews and so mm. a lot of it is into and and i think it's a book that required more than one voice so you know that that wasn't to to fill the word count out as such it was um it, it was because I wanted to get different people's perspectives and some people who you might not have heard of, some people who you will have heard of. And, and that was, again, that was very, very deliberate. It's an incredible book uh, because it talks about this thing called compassion-focused therapy. And 
it was something that I kind of only really came across when I read your book. Can you tell people what compassionate compassion focused therapy is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it again, it was. I think I, I didn't answer your question properly before in the sense of the, the driver behind the book. It was a really pivotal point in my life. I'd been through a really difficult time, um, an extremely difficult time to the point now where I look back and, and it was a trauma for me. Um, yeah. And I could speak openly and honestly about that. Mm. Um, and compassion focused therapy was really what kind of enabled me to get that perspective. Now, is it is it a magic thing that fixes everything? Absolutely not. But whether I would have got better anyway, you know, however you want to phrase that, um, whatever would have happened anywhere, you know, I don't know, but this thing was a really important framework to help me understand, um, mental health and, 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 and society and, and my place within it. And what it posits is basically that we have th- three parts of the brain, um, that's three, three, you know, it's a model that kind of looks at very, three very simple parts of the brain. So, We've got the threat system, which is the most kind of um, primal part of the brain, which is kind of, you know, when we first, I always say when we first crawled out the primordial soup, you know, great, great part of the brain to have if a bus is coming towards you, you know, get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling incredibly ill, get to a hospital, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's really, you know, the threat system is important and it's an important thing to, 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 to help keep you safe. Then we've got our drive system, which is more linked to our our, our prime our, our primate cousins, which is kind of to do with. And it's interesting you can read about this with the evolution of language. So, you you know you talk about you know rhesus monkeys who have social systems and pride and fighting for resources mm-hmm. and you know you know you know alpha males and all that sort of stuff. And so that so that we have that that sits on top of the threat part, but then you have right at the top the most human bit, which is beautiful actually because it's the most the bit which is human is the bit which is nice. It's the, it's the soothe bit. It's the bit yeah. that's to do with connection and um, and love and mm. safety and soothe and and all those things. So you've got threat at the bottom, then drive, then soothe at the top. And the idea is that the, the, the model basically says that mental health work only really works a, f- a good mental health only works if those three systems are in sync and talking to each other appropriately so it's not okay to suddenly you know go under the knife and have the threat bit of your brain removed because you need it you need that in certain yeah. situations and i you know as, as we'll discuss um if, if you would like uh, i started thinking about the context where my burnout happened and of which I completely hold my, you know, I hold myself responsible for that. You know, it's not about someone bullied me and I ended up, you know, depressed. It wasn't that it was that, you know, in, in there were a number of individuals and personalities in a wider system that was quite toxic and quite corrosive for me. Um, in my, in my context, no one set out to harm me. It wasn't to do with that. My brain in that context just picked up too much threat I suppose that's one way of looking at it Mm. and um and I started reflecting actually what's going on here is it that this model doesn't just work on an individual level it works on a systems level and in fact is what is going on in education in terms of league league tables and Ofsted inspections and all those things it doesn't just work on an individual level that threat drive axis do this, do this, do this, or we'll lose our jobs. We'll get, you know, we'll be put in special measures. 
we need to be pride and proud of who we are. We need to be better than the school down the road. We need to have better numbers than the school down the road. To an extent, that makes sense. But then when you start coming back, you, know, you think of it as a triangle on the threat axis rather than the soothe axis, that's quite. To- that's where I think toxic schools happen. That's where I think you end up in quite tricky situations. So... And and it was I was literally pushing my little boy on the swing one day on the on the swing that's no more than about fifty yards from where I am now, um, and I picked up the phone and to, to to my publisher and they sent me a questionnaire and when I filled that questionnaire it took about five minutes um, they said write it and we'll publish it for you and and here we are wow. yeah and I'm so glad and I, I I could talk a lot about this book because when you talk about that threat. Um, existing in teaching I know all too well that feeling personally that's how we connected you and I yeah we had a shared experience of that and why I'm speaking about this and why I talk so openly about my experience is because I know we weren't the only ones we're not the only ones to have experienced that and sadly there are tens of thousands of teachers every single year going through exactly the same feelings but often more often than is not is the case is that their their support is not there the understanding is not there and this is why that beautiful word of compassion comes in so pivotally at this moment because you could put all the systems in place to tick the boxes and say yep we are a good well-being provider and you know I talk a lot about the difference between well-being and understanding mental health Mm. compassion has a place in that would you agree I couldn't agree more and I think that's a really really insightful thing to to have said because my my wife's a psychologist and so we've had any number of conversations about our marriage and and what was going on at that time for me yeah. you know in terms of you know she's a psychologist and what what was she doing in the, all of mm. this and that's that's in the book and and she has been asked recently to put on some well-being seminars of which we talk about and yeah. there's that there's that well-known meme of you know I'm feeling depressed and I'm struggling with my well-being and it's the Batman meme isn't it you know well slapping him around the face well here's a well-being seminar yeah and, exactly and and I agree with you I think it's it's only really when you do the difficult stuff that you can start to address your well-being properly not you know the now now thankfully what is a bit of a cliche statement not not a yoga session once a week it it's it's tougher than that it's dealing with harder stuff than that and you know i'll reflect if you'd like me to on, on some of my recent experiences this year mm. post covid people are vulnerable people are yeah. vulnerable people are struggling as we come out of this pupils and teachers alike are struggling and it's hard having being compassionate with people is hard because the yeah. easy thing to do is dismiss people offhand and say, oh, you know, they're taking the mickey they're they, you know, that they're, they're taking advantage. The, that's the easy thing to do. That's the easy way out. The harder thing to do is to practice that pause, stop yourself and think no, no one comes to work to do a bad job. Yeah. No one's deliberately trying to, to disadvantage pupils. Mm. It's easy to dismiss them as that and make them a bad, a bad person in your mind, but actually what do we need to put into place to help them be the very best that they can be? And, you know, I'm not, I'm not Mary Poppins. It, you know, it, it's, it's hard for me. I have to, I have to practice the pause all the time in my position because it's hard because I'm a middle leader and 
I'm continually trying to do more with less. I'm continually trying to, you know, I, I, I adore my school. I feel incredibly loyal to my school, but you know, and my head teacher gives me everything he can. He's a, he's a brilliant head teacher and I've got brilliant um, SLT who support me as well. But even then, you know, I'm lots of staff are on, are on the heaviest teaching load they can be. Yeah. And it's a funding thing. It's a staffing thing. And I'm continually trying to do more, trying to get more out of the pupils with less all the time, trying to find systems that will make life easier for people that, um, and, and make, you know, better outcome, give pupils better chance of having good outcomes. Mm. Mm. And I'm continually at that cold face trying to marry those two systems up. And I've, I mean, again, I'll reflect on this if you'd like me to, I've made mistakes this year and it's not about, always doing or not doing sometimes it's about the reflection and it's about mm. the environment that you that you ex that you create all the time by listening by when you get a text or an email of a morning I won't be in today because my little boy or girl's ill or, or I'm really struggling with this not thinking oh that's a nuisance and then shutting the email down taking the time to say okay look after yourself and I'll see you when you're back in yeah. and those two reactions are hugely different and I think it's so important someone couldn't they yeah Uh, yeah and and I think it's so important to recognize the difference between those two things and and it I feel like I'm having more asked of me as a leader comfortably than at any stage in my leadership career Mm. you know this is this is hard this is difficult at the minute yeah I understand that and having not been in school for a couple of years now I Mm can see even just in the last few years the obvious the obvious upheaval of covid um is having a massive impact on people and you're right you when you're in a state of um stress Mm. you're it's very easy for your natural reactions to be one of annoyed um you know uh snappy responses everyone's in it I'm struggling too so let's yeah. just get on with it and be like this to each other and it becomes a very hostile um environment mm. when we talk about compassion and I talk about it a lot because and it's easy it's an easy word to throw about you could say well you know you've got to be more compassionate well how do you become more compassionate for me you know it's about um putting yourself in the position of the person you're speaking to and considering every word carefully, which is not always easily done. Uh, And the actions carefully considering your actions, how is what I'm about to do going to impact the person that is the receiver of my actions, if you like, is compassion something that can be taught or learned? Um, I'm I'm just interested. I'm not necessarily looking even for an answer, but just more of a discussion on, Mm. you know, we can see di- kind of dictator-style leaderships and authoritative leadership where everyone's looking over their shoulder and a bit scared to make the wrong move because of the scrutiny that's existing. Can compassion be injected into that scenario where it always maybe hasn't existed? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question and probably one that doesn't have an easy answer. And mm. I think... I think we, it'll be useful to, to, to back away from the idea of inserting compassion into a situation, like in the same way that you would insert well-being into a situation. I don't think yes. you can. You don't want to do it just for the sake of it, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's 
it's a long-term thing and i would say it's it's a it's a harder inner uh, a harder inner and, ref- and reflective process that that people need to be encouraged to look again and to think again so it's about doing the things that matter over a long period of time. And the reason it's hard is because it's not something that's achievable over, t- over time. You know, I'm constantly struggling in a constant struggle with my, with my weight. You know, I, I would like to lose weight and there's a reason why any number of quick fixes for weight loss find their way onto my Facebook timeline. Yeah. There's a reason why it comes into my, my Amazon and my eBay. It's because I go looking for the quick fix yeah. And and actually, the harder thing to do is to address those underlying beliefs, those underlying concerns and catch yourself doing the wrong thing and reflect on it. And I think it's the same with compassion. So mm. compassion, if you break the word down, com is the Latin for with and passion is the Latin for suffering. So suffering with. And that's why it's yeah. hard, because mm. suffering with people is hard and you get compassion fatigue. And Philippa, my wife, said that when I was in the sort of the height of my depression, she said she blew up one day and said, I'm so tired of this. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, mm. and actually even acknowledging that it's hard is it was a useful thing for me to hear. Mm. So it's it's not about, you know, behaving in a certain way and overnight and taking a compassion pill and everything be, being okay again. Mm. I think it's about being the person that people can approach over weeks and days and months and years and and that that's when it becomes really powerful that's what takes real change and I think you see it with any number of social things around you know whether it's mental health awareness or transphobia or whether it's um you know uh homophobia racism whatever it is the reason why as a society we are struggling with those things is because they are longer term generational educational attitudes that people need to foster and model over years that it's hard this stuff and you know it's 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 stuff that will only work if people continually reflect on themselves and and reflect on uh are they the kind of person are you you know that to use that well-coined phrase now again brilliant phrase be the change you want to see in the world Mm. and Um, I continually try. I, I've, I've, I mean, I'm happy to discuss this again. I'm, I've messed up a couple of times this year um, on that front, and and I, I apologise to someone on the last day of term because I messed up. Um, so we have a curriculum review which, which is going on in English in my subject. I, I, when I planned the timetable for it, I didn't look properly at the t- at the calendar, and it was in the last week of half term, and as availability for lead practitioners changed and and various bits and pieces changed throughout the week I moved two learning walks for different year groups to the last day of term the last half the last Friday not realizing that because I was in my head it was one was year eight one was year 10 two different year groups fine not realizing that some people if that real devil's in the detail some people will get learning walk twice on the last day of term and a good friend of mine and good colleague was really upset at that. And one side of you could say, well, we teach, you know, we, we, we should be always happy with someone coming into our room and there's nothing wrong with that. And blah. But I thought, no, nah, no, nah, I wouldn't want that on the last day of term. And 
and I have to understand how people, how that person felt. And, and I, and I messed that up. I messed that up. And, and I hold my hands up completely. Um, That's the important bit though, Andy, is that you were able to recognize that it wasn't the most ideal situation for that person. And then you went and you made reparations. The difference comes when compassion isn't present is that there's no apology. There's no recognition. So it's just a like it and lump it, like it or lump it situation. Yeah, there's there's no validation, exactly. and I think, and I think actually, it's about validating, trying to validate people's feelings. And you know, I'm well aware. I'll 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 tell my team and I'll tell my colleagues that I've done this podcast, and I I want to be completely transparent to everyone. Um, I'll always be transparent with people mm. because it's important that people understand that you know there is no seat there, there should be no secrecy mm. and on on the one hand you know I could have I, as I say I could have said well you get on with it you know that's just what it was and it is what it is but actually at the end of a, a long really hard half term a really hard-working colleague suffered because of something that I had control over and um and that's hard that's you know my small sphere of influence my small sphere of english leadership um but the lesson there is that it won't happen again and so no, the I, you know things like that have to happen for us to be able to move on for us to recognize it and yes. make sure that it doesn't happen again and this is what happens in teaching a lot is that you often find when compassion isn't for you know forefront and front and center mm. of somebody's drive it is that very much well we've decided it's this this is what's happening you've got no way out and that's where teachers start with that threat uh you know the threat response and you know if you if you have a mental health condition that is a diagnosis or even undiagnosed you can't always control your responses to those threats if you like this is where compassion is so key because when we put ourselves in the situation of somebody else, if we know that someone's struggling or if we know that, and this is why I like to make sure people talk about it. I always encourage talking as well about the struggles that we have, because if we don't know about it, we can't do anything about it. But at, at the same time, I always feel like we should maybe act as if someone has that, because there's so many of us that struggle with mental health. So we should always kind of act as if, you know, someone needs our support. Um, but it often doesn't happen. And so when we talk about can compassion be learned, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's a long-term practiced commitment that takes time to build. Some people are very natural at it. Some people are natural with compassion and can very easily be empathetic towards people as well. Some people not so much. But Mm -hmm. I think even just raising the issue of it and asking people to reflect and check is what I've done there with compassion at the forefront or is what I've done there to drive my own agenda to make sure my job is a little bit easier or a little bit less stressed and I think it's a collective effort when we're when we're talking about compassion and I think as well I was asked my opinion about yesterday I was asked to give my opinion for a paper that's being published on um ed tech and post-covid and I said one of the things another thing that I've learned this year is about practicing that pause in the sense of new initiatives because Mm. in the landscape of 
league tables now coming back post COVID, you know, what it, it feels silly to talk about post COVID given what's going on mm. right now, but post what happened in the last 18 months in terms of schools being out, um, it's very hard to see another school down the road doing something that's seen as a successful school and not copy that thing because they're doing something you're not, they're going to be ahead of you. And it's very hard to then not adopt that, but then have massive implications for your staff. And I think centrally, that's you know what I wrote about in the book, particularly at the end is, I don't have an issue with accountability. And if anyone's going to say to me, you're just looking for a way out of accountability, you don't like it when people scrutinize your numbers, I would say you are, you're dead wrong. That's not what this is about. What this yeah. is about, it's about being being accountable for the impact you have on other people and really being clear about your own vulnerability and respecting your own vulnerability and the impact on other people. And it's so hard in the context of league tables and trying to beat the school down the road. If we if we had a different system that that was more collaborative we wouldn't this wouldn't work this wouldn't happen so much on the micro level as well because the reason why so many people are struggling just to get into the building of a morning is because of the tensions that are caused just above them and the reason that it's just caused just above them is because it's layered it happens and you, and, and and it's so difficult um, the problem that we've got, and I'll say it time and time again to people, is that we are now we are stuck on the threat drive axis. And what you've just said there is is perfect. In that, you know, have I acted? You know, the system the the system is really it's not one that encourages the you know people asking, have I acted with compassion? There, it's not a system that encourages that. Um, and it's really it's it's difficult that um because it's it's systemic um i'm a but on the other side of this i'm a parent and we're going to be choosing schools we have chosen one school for our our little our little boy we've got a little girl who we will go to the same school but we'll choose secondaries for them hopefully in a few years time do i want transparent honest information about the school that i am sending my child to yes do i need fine-grained detail about every aspect of that school and uh, no so there's a discussion to be had about the role of offset and the role of accountability and the role of those things but i think what we've probably done is we've we we the instrument we have is too blunt and i include progress eight in that by the way you know no algorithm no sophisticated measure yeah. is going to help you calculate what you should have done with kids over n- nothing can mm. so we need more intelligent accountability systems because you know again i what i would expect in terms of accountability is to be able to have a conversation with my child's teacher or my child's school about what's going on with my child in that school but am i going to blame them for not for, for them not being at the required standard whatever that is no no because that's their choice as well as my you know my influence as a parent it's not just down to the schools and I think because of this threat drive axis because of you know the squeeze now of COVID because of all these things that are happening schools are losing out even more and you even see it in you know in this sort of insidious horrible 
dialogue this in the media about teachers having an easy time during covid <laughs> you know it, it's farcical it, it, yeah. it's it's farcical um so I, you know if i'm i think a, a key is about those systemic changes about how we measure it how we measure accountability what we do but also the profession as well because it's funny because I've written this book on compassion. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm asked to give talks on compassion and mental health in schools and like the kind of the stuff that is traditionally seen as fuzzy. But my role in school is data and progress eight. I'm head of English and I'm strategically for data and progress eight, you know, numbers on a page. And I spend my whole time in my sessions about data, trying not to talk too much about data because actually data is a number but actually we need to get back to the we need to get back to the teacher being the artisan the teacher mm. being the respected craftsperson in the room yeah. you know what's the point in giving someone a spreadsheet of data when actually the most important thing is i know you've had Rachel on from Pixel who are kind of made a, a, a made a write yourself big thing of horseworth quadrants i the best thing i talk about in my data sessions is never mind what's on the sheet it's what you do next with it yeah. So who's making high effort with high progress? Who's high effort, low progress? Who's low effort, low progress, blah, blah, blah. What do you do with that? What's, you know, the intelligent accountability should be about what's happened with that, with those numbers afterwards. And my, and my concern at the moment is, is that the system is so busy trying to get a certain behavior out of people and a certain behavior out of children and schools and all the rest of it and leaders they're not asking the intelligent questions that should underpin some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting as well. And I've just been thinking back to what you said about, um, you know, looking at other schools and seeing them with the different initiatives and thinking, Oh, we, we've got to be doing the same as them. We've got to be doing, you know, we've got to keep up with the trends, mm. but actually when it comes down to the core of it and Vic Carr on a previous episode, when she talked about leading with love, she talked a very similar, similar message. Um, about knowing what is right for what is in front of you right there and then and what is going to make the biggest impact and if we just do all the stuff that's just expected of us all the time that just because that's what it is it's just a it's just a tick box ex exercise with no impact um we've got to come back to what are we doing why are we doing it um at all times and yeah very interesting conversation there i think um bringing it back to just how we can move forward from here because I bang on about a lot I'm, I'm like a broken record when it comes to I want to see systems changed I want to see leaders taking risks I want to see you know compassion at the heart of everything that people do and it's not that easy because I, I just want a utopian existence I want everyone to love each other everyone to get on and we'll all be okay really it is for the sake of the children though in front of us because if we've got well teachers by proxy we're going to have well students and, and well performing students if you like and happy students um what can school leaders do now uh to i suppose lead with like we say call this episode leading and teaching with compassion what can they do more of as other than read your book which everybody should read your book <laughs> um i i think that it's about creating the environment for those risks to take place creating an environment for those things to happen and I think the first thing to do is in schools I think is to it's about simplicity 
the best schools are the ones that keep things simple and yeah. keep their core purpose and their values simple. And I know that's a very easy thing to, that's almost like a fatuous thing to say. It's a very easy thing to say. But if I was to sort of have this from the top, I would say that it, it needs to be about things things such as wider support for, for pupils. What What's the support beyond just the, the simple things that we do? So we have simple behavior systems that that have actions and consequences we have a really clear support network around pupils um, and we we have to say i have to say we do this brilliantly at my school we've got a uh, we've got a, a very clear pathway for things when pupils make the wrong decisions and that and that and it, and it does make sense um so clear clear behaviors and clear routines to enable teachers just to get on with the thing they love which is teaching clear mm-hmm. consequences when, when when things when when pupils don't make the right choice and then I think you can start to, and I think when that happens, you you spend much more time having conversations about things that matter. So um, my, my line manager is brilliant. He just comes up sometimes and just, we have a chat and it's a really important, he, he, he'll come in and he'll have planned the conversation. He'll have, he'll have come in to ask me some things, but the offshoot of which we have some, he has some, he has the answers that he wants but we also, I've also been given a chance to reflect and think about the things I've been doing, and it, it's it's about space for those conversations for people to feel hurt, to be feel to, to feel like they've been heard, and it's a it, the importance of those things can't be underestimated. But I think those things can only happen when 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 the basics are in place. So basics in place, things like you know, as I say, care, behaviour, things like schemes of learning, things that actually. Uh, you know need to need to be there for the bulk of the work to, that, that's been done you know I always provide everything I can for my staff so they spend their time tweaking and not building from scratch and then I think co- constantly trying to revisit ten- where the tensions are in the timetable where people are off where people are struggling where you know where there's difficulty and trying to trying to address those things you can't preempt everything but what you can do is you can you can respond you can you can do it with the with the best heart and the best mind you can but then you can also respond um to the things you've done so i i I brought in two things this year for my team one of which both of which have caused some had, had, had teething issues but i brought them both in for the right reasons but the difficulties that that has happened as a result of them um, I need to understand almost do like a sort of a cost analysis of that, of, of, of whether that's been worth it. So one thing we brought, I think it's probably worth giving you the examples. So one thing we brought in was um, homework um, to be completed and checked on a Monday. So all of our homework has been moved online um, and we provide paper resources and computers for all pupils. So there's no one who's excluded from this. So everything's moved online um, to, to, to allow to, to, for pupils to for easy accountability checking for people to do things which are which which are very simple there's no marking involved for teachers it's very simple recall retrieval not vocabulary all those things and then I pump out five spreadsheets on a Monday morning giving the staff the information about whether homework's been done or not red or green and that's had some issues because of you know teachers having to check on the Monday and all those things but in reality homework if we're being compassionate and truthful about this which is part of the conversation here we weren't setting homework regularly we weren't collecting homework regularly the, the standards weren't being met from the pupils from the pupils end 
So I came up with a system which is, yeah, there's some adjustment there because people have to check something they didn't have to check before. But actually now our homework completion rate is phenomenal. You know, it's brilliant. Routines are in place. Happy with that. The second thing I brought in was a was an external scheme of work which was to work with our year sevens and eights on a on a um, for two lessons a week, and it's about technical skills. So teaching them technical skills and you know, where you know, clauses and you know apostrophes and technical stuff to do with English, which is much drier than what we had previously. It was you know which was a creative writing task, and what I've had to do is stay with my gut instinct about particularly post covid all children need this diet of 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 good technical grammar before they can then go and do the flair stuff afterwards but actually the scheme that we brought in is, is quite dry to, to to someone who picks it off the shelf so i've had to be really clear and have a number of meetings with people about listening in terms of tweaking tweaking those things and making them more engaging for the teacher to teach and for the for the pupils to learn you can't just keep banging the drum we need technical skill it needs to be done like mm. this yeah let's trust people to use their professionalism and their creativity and their flair but so those two examples one is embedded it's fine we've nailed it the other one is going to need a lot, a lot more listening and tweaking and work and collaboration and, re- and reflection. And that, and I don't just reel those off as as just, you know, kind of empty words. They're things I'm constantly doing. I'm trying to get my TLR holders to make sure that they get in and, and see see them being delivered. And I try and listen to the pupils, listen to the staff, more the staff than the pupils here, because I think it's the staff are the ones that are going to be the drivers for change here. Yeah. Um, and so in my, again, my, my small, small sphere of influence, I think it's so, so important to re- constantly reflect on what you're asking of people, why you're asking them to understand their struggle and to not be scared, not be scared to have the, the, the integrity to go back and revisit those things. Yeah. Um, and I just think they were quite, I like to think they're two quite nice examples of change that I've brought in for, the, for what I think were the right, for the right moral reasons but I have to understand and own and and be clear about the impact that I've had on other people's lives with that. And that's hard in a school. Mm. That's hard. And I would I can't even imagine what it must be like for a head teacher or for leaders not to buckle under the pressure of, you know, just plow on and get it done. Or no, no, let's just come back on this and let's roll it back and pretend it never happened. It must be so hard to kind of constantly tread that line. And it's exhausting. I'm exhausted in half term after yeah. seven weeks you know yeah yeah um definitely and I think it, the more that we can like kind of act and preempt and and always introduce things like we've been talking about introducing things for the good so that it's not just an exercise that is there to be done for the sake of it that it actually is a, a worthwhile um in initiative that's introduced um it's always going to benefit people better. I think, like, this is a side. I walk around, I, I like a statement T-shirt, right? So I walk around with these statement T-shirts on because it sometimes is like, I like to kind of put on my T-shirt how what values I live by. And mm. one of them is, one of them just says, be a nice human. And I often walk around with that T-shirt and get kind of a few looks and things. And I do it on purpose this is, there is a point to this I promise I do it on purpose to kind of make people think and I like to the I like the idea of kind of 
having an impact without even saying anything. And um, I think in teaching, we can do that and leading particularly, because when we're talking about teaching and leading with compassion, we can't just talk about it. We have to be it, don't we? We have to be the example. Like you said earlier, be the change you want to see. It's absolutely spot on. But you've seen um, it before. I guess, sorry to interrupt. I, you've seen it before in schools. People whose words and whose tick boxes, but their nonverbal communication doesn't match up. Yes, absolutely. And and, and so everything okay? Yep, yeah, okay, fine. And, and, and they're, they're saying the words everything okay. Yeah, but they haven't got time for the ha- answer. Yeah. And that's hard. You know, this soothe stuff isn't a magic pill that we all take, take and then everything's fine. It's hard. You know, that's why that's why counsellors and psychotherapists and psychologists are, you know, are so crucial. And and one to one counselling is, is, you know, is, is hard to come by and expensive because it's hard to go through that hard stuff with people all the time. Yeah. And the system doesn't necessarily create the space or the conditions for those things to happen, as you've just described there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so important to, you know, I, I, I'm funny because I'm, I'm a lot more, I'm, I'm a lot more, I think that's why we're quite an interesting couple of you like me and you, because I think <laughs> we're very different. I think we've, yeah. we're, at core, we're, we're the same. Mm-hmm. But how we achieve that is, 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 is polar opposite, me and you. I yeah. would never wear a statement T-shirt. No, I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but do you know something? I I see those T-shirts, and I hand on heart can say to you that I think, yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. I would never do it. I haven't yeah. got the person to carry that off. I haven't. I couldn't. I, <laughs> I want to see it. Right I'm going to buy you one for Christmas. Um, <laughs> you can buy me a Ghostbusters T-shirt. I'm very excited about the new <laughs> film, and I'll wear that with pride. Um, but I think that's the point: is getting people connected who aren't necessarily like alike on the surface but actually believe fundamentally in the same things that's what we've got to start doing is try and unite around our, our, our similarities and it's it's so hard when you know you talk about you know you look at something that's I'll give you another example which I think you know we talk about recycling and looking after the world and all that sort of stuff actually it's so hard to live in a sustainable way. You go to the yeah. supermarket, the amount of single-use plastics on the shelves, the amount, you know, you drive your diesel car, which is the cheapest way to, to run things, if, you know, if you haven't got the money for an electric yeah, car. Yeah. Uh, you know, you drive your diesel car to the supermarket, which is pumping out single-use plastic. And, you know, we're talking about these things, but we live in a world where it's so hard to achieve yeah. the things we're talking about. And I think education could do worse than taking a look at itself in terms of what it's trying to achieve because you know you can probably massage a a child through a five at GCSE and that looks good for on them for paper and social justice and it gets them into college or whatever but what have you done for them as a human being and absolutely and, and and I think a lot of school leaders will, will listen to that and they'll say, oh, you, you know, we don't, haven't got a clue about the reality. I have got a clue about the reality and yep. I do the same thing. I get kids through GCSEs with a five. I, I try to. But at the same time, I, I would rather be inside the system trying to affect change in the same way that you are mm. than um, than 
you know, just admitting defeat or just saying, well, you know, mess, you know, you know, dismiss all the other stuff. Um, it's it's so important for the for the system now to, in a more sensitive and credible way, ask the tough questions. And I don't think we do that at the moment. And COVID is exposing all sorts of stuff, you know, um, that it's put a squeeze on things. <laughs> you know, I don't even know if you might leave this out, but. I am. Um, I've got a bit of a, a, a penchant for um, for the Saw films, and oh. I watched the Saw films right. And at the start, there's a logo that says Twisted Pictures, right. and it's Twisted Pictures in bubble writing, and it's got barbed wire around it, and it sort of twists, the, you know, like with the barbed wire on on, uh-huh. on the logo on, on on the bubble writing. And I always think that's what sort of COVID has done to society. It's taken an already sort of quite squeezed situation with social inequality and all those things and the queues and the NHS and all those things. And what it's done is, is just squeezed. It's just made things that little bit more difficult in a, in a world that's difficult enough as it is. And yeah, uh, now's the time to put that first. I, I believe, and I do mean that now's the time to put that first. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think if I was to challenge anyone listening, who is a school leader through this episode, and I think my, that my, goal would be it's it's like you say you can't just take a pill a compassion pill and then the next day everything's great and you know you're living in wonderland it's not going to happen that way but what I would say is that even if you recognizing that the leadership in your team isn't as in your school sorry isn't as compassionate as you'd like it to be you can start with your world and you can start with your existence and, and your reality about kind of being that model of compassion and yes society at the minute is polarized we are we are in in all sorts of sections in all sorts of opinions divided mm. and what we need is a space to reignite compassion into society and love into society a bit more and that extends to schools and from my experience in schools and many others who are now like me outside of the the system in this you know not teaching anymore I believe that our our desire for compassion comes from being, let's say, the victim of compassionless actions. Um, and we want to kind of spread it because we don't want anyone to necessarily go through what we went through. No, um, and I, I agree. And I think what just to add to what you said there just quickly, I think that when you talk about your own sphere, that means self-compassion as well. Absolutely. That, mean, that means, you know... Um, doing the things that are hard that for yourself that that are going to lead to something more sustainable um absolutely and and i think you've hit on something really interesting at the end there when you talk about you know being part of a compassionless system i've these last 10 years have been fascinating because this it's 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 changed in terms of accountability Mm -hmm. immeasurably in the last 10 years Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm I'm, again i'm reminded of I, i talk about this sometimes when i when i'm asked to do talks there's a Jurassic Park's one of my favorite films. And I remember at the start when there's this new shiny park, everything looks amazing. And, and Ian Malcolm, the chaos theorist kind of says, yeah, your scientists were so preoccupied, preoccupied about whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should, you That's know, right. go on to this next thing. So we're so bothered about, you know, as a, as a, you know, and this is nothing to do with school leaders, really this is something much bigger about accountability and and all those things but actually 
we've brought in some of those practices from business and measurability and things like that. And you can't have those things without, again, to coin something from a later Jurassic Park film, you can't have those systems without the corresponding behavioural traits. So when, you know, when uh, Henry Wu is challenged in Jurassic World about making the Indominus, he says, you said you wanted more teeth. You wanted an animal that looked scary. You wanted an animal that, that would bring people in and be successful and make things more interesting. You can't have, you can't make a monster like that without bringing in some of the behavioral traits, you know, without, and actually you think about, you know, a business and accountability and end, an end product. Well, it's what we've brought into schools. Um, yeah. And I interviewed my own head teacher now uh, for, for the book before I started actually. And he said, we've brought in some of those, some of those are sort of in some places quite unsavory practices. And, you know, he didn't use that word, but he, we've brought in some of the worst of those business practices and we've not really allowed the human side to catch up yet. Yeah. I'm with you on that. 100%. I've, I talk a lot about schools becoming businesses and with it becoming, you know, bringing along business practices and behaviors and attitudes. And it isn't always, in fact, you know I'm very much pro kind of on the peace and love but I don't like necessarily the business side of things um and I think it's a very dangerous uh route to go down because we are we're not setting a great example for the children that we teach and lead Um, no I I agree completely and I think the danger is that there you know there's probably some leaders more than others who need to catch themselves a bit because they think everything they're doing is for the benefit of young people. Yeah. And, you know, to get a grade on a page probably is, but in terms of the amount of pupils who are going to get grades, if you're burning teachers out and you're burning the profession out and turning it and, and playing a role in turning it into a toxic profession, think about just for one second, the amount of teachers who you are depriving the amount of students sorry who you are depriving of those teachers in years to come yeah. you know I, I, I'm not going to be disingenuous here I've, I've never seen you teach um, but I, I would knowing you as I do I would be pretty comfortable in saying that it's a damn shame that you're no longer in the classroom and I dare say that in a different world you would still be in the classroom and you know extrapolate that out to 10,000 teachers Absolutely. let's all even call it 5,000 teachers think about the amount of teacher that pupils are over over a career that a teacher will teach the amount of students whose lives they will touch and then you start to get an, a, a sense of the importance of this mm. you think about things like climate change you think about things like oh well why should I bother turning a light off when I leave the room think think about it in those it's bigger, bigger terms mm. yeah and but I say it again I you know we are not in a climate that encourages thinking about the bigger picture in any sense in any sense yeah. In, in any yeah, level right. individually systemically whatever we're not mm-hmm. we're not and that's a big shame I um I absolutely I appreciate what you said just then and actually I would agree with you I was a catch as a teacher I was great I loved it and and there's I don't doubt more that for like, a second like me yeah um sadly I couldn't align myself with this system that we're talking about and it was a real shame and you know the one thing that I miss the most is the young people that I taught because I got more from them than I did from pretty much anyone I worked with and mm-hmm. um you know it is a shame and there are more like me and you might be listening to this and thinking yep that's me um I went through that too and 
we are going to bring this kind of conversation to a close, sadly, because time. Uh, but if you are listening to this and you you resonate with anything that we're talking about, please, please, please go and buy Andy's book. It's called The Compassionate Teacher, Andy Salmons. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it through John Cat, can you? Yeah, or um, I, I carry a box around in my car and I often am seen at the side of the motorway fl- flogging spare copies. There we go. So you um, can get in touch with Andy directly. Um, and I, was, I, would, I would assume the best place to get in touch with you is through Twitter. Yeah, my Twitter is Andy underscore Sam. That's two M's. Um, and yeah, you can easily find me on there. And, you know, in any capacity, if you want to talk things through or discuss things or ask advice about things or... Um, I'm more than happy for people to get in touch and, and discuss things because I, you know, this is a, this is this is my why, and I, and I don't, I don't um, shy away from anyone who works with me listening to what I'm saying now and turning up at work on Monday and saying, "Hang on a minute, mate, you've just said that on that podcast. What about this then?" Yeah. And, I, and I feel very strongly about mm. that, you know, because I make decisions a hundred a day, yeah, and I make mistakes every day and. And I get things wrong, and I think that's that's the that's the first thing, isn't it? They say you know, alcoholism, gambling addiction, whatever. Admit you got a problem. <laughs> I think maybe no, that's <laughs> that's the thing to leave it on, isn't it? You know, let's just all admit we've got a problem. But it's true. <laughs> nice it is true. Finish, completely, it? Yeah. completely agree with you. And actually, I think accountability is a good thing. I think we have to yeah, be held to account through what the words that we want that we say and the actions that we do following that and if we're not matching those up we should be held to account by the people around us and vice versa and it's not an attack it's a compassion-led conversation with uh with that everyone's best interest at heart i could talk to you for days my friend thank you so much for being on here um, your message is important. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for your friendship and oh, likewise. Um, support. And uh, keep in touch, my love. Yeah, been lovely. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, we'll see you soon. Thank you. The Leaders Team podcast is brought to you from the Leaders Team at Twinkle. We help leaders lead. Check us out at twinkle.co.uk forward slash SLT.